Let's pray. Jesus, where are you to be found today? Are you beside the podiums of the powerful who give you thanks for their position and privilege? Are you in the hearts of the pious? Are you trapped in the pages of scripture? Are you found in the buildings that bear your symbols? Humble Messiah Jesus, open our eyes to see you today and give us courage to follow you there. Amen. Jerusalem was heaving. The typical 40,000 odd inhabitants in our gospel reading had swollen to a couple of hundred thousand. Most of them pilgrims arriving for the Passover festival. Passover, as you probably know, was the annual reenactment and celebration of Yahweh's miraculous and decisive liberation of the Israelites from suffering under the, opp the oppression of an imperial power. It recalled the story of the Exodus recorded in the second book of Holy Scripture, where Israel's God raised up a mighty prophet, Moses, who stood up against Pharaoh and against the power, the armies, the gods of Egypt, and prevailed, leading the Israelites out of bondage and towards the promised land. And now in our gospel reading, centuries later, the remaining tribe of Judah was once again under the thumb of an imperial occupation. So was it any wonder then that this particular festival drew significant crowds to the holy city, eager to renew their hope that the God who had once brought their ancestors out of slavery might once more vindicate and emancipate this people? Though this time they were by and large not in chains, nonetheless their land had been taken by force. They were subject to pagan laws enforced by foreign soldiers. Their wealth was taxed for the benefit of those in distant lands. Their devotion and loyalty to the emperor were under scrutiny. And those who publicly expressed a desire for, for a return to running their own affairs risked severe punishment. For sedition. Those who openly questioned Caesar's rule in Judea met the usual imperial consequences. Even, even to mention the old stories of uh, ancient King David and his royal line was dangerous, for it implicitly suggested the inadequacy, even the illegitimacy of the current administration. And the story of Moses telling Pharaoh, let my people go, had obvious subversive resonance among the crowds that had flocked to Jerusalem for this religious feast. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, was very aware of the dangers associated with this time of year. His base was to the west on the coast at Caesarea, a port constructed by the occupiers to enable reinforcements to be brought in quickly by ship should the need arise. But Pilate knew that Passover meant crowds of devout Jews squeezing into the city, the city of King David, the city where their God's temple was located, the temple that the Jews believed was where their Exodus journey celebrated at Passover had concluded 
a city full of dangerous symbols, explosive potential. And so allowing the Jews to hold their celebration, their invasion day rally, if you like, in peace, would be to allow these occupied and colonized natives to tell the story of their invasion and oppression unchallenged. Pilate knew he needed to disrupt that narrative with something that was at once a, uh, an outward show of symbolic respect for these ancient traditions and yet also to defang their danger through a visible show of force and a reassertion that whatever the original inhabitants of the land were claiming, that this was to be yet another Rome day in practice. And to say otherwise, according to Pilate, would be obviously divisive and political, and none of us want to see that. We wouldn't want to see the riot squad needing to be dispatched. And so, for the duration of the Passover festival, Pilate would move his headquarters from Caesarea to Jerusalem, arriving amidst a military parade, at once intending to pay lip service to these ancient traditions and customs of the Jews, but also intended to shock and awe the locals. Drums, banners, (coughs) cavalry on horses, It's hard to say the word cavalry at this time of year, isn't it? Soldiers marching in their battle armour with gleaming helmets, bearing their deadly pilum and gladius with which they had conquered the known world. And in the place of greatest honour, astride his war horse, the ruler, capable of wielding this unparalleled war machine, sat Pilate himself, riding into Jerusalem from the west at the start of the week's festivities and rituals. This is the context for our gospel narrative this afternoon. Because as Pilate's military parade entered through the main western gate of Jerusalem, there was also a second procession happening around the same time, a a counter procession. The palm branches, which would be laid down in front of a conquering hero, the, the outer garments laid on the path ahead as a sign of deep respect, the shouts of acclamation, the references to David, the echoing of the prophet Zechariah's picture of a messianic figure riding a donkey into Jerusalem from the west. All this symbolism may be somewhat opaque to us, and I won't go through and explain every detail of it, but in context, this is an unmistakable act. In contrast to Pilate with his soldiers coming to enforce imperial dominion and domination, Jesus' procession is an alternative picture with a different kind of ruler, one who came humbly on a donkey, unarmed, in peace, running a different sort of kingdom, one that would subvert the nationalist dreams of revolutionary violence cherished by many Jews, for he came humbly in peace on a donkey, and yet one which still boldly confronted the pharaoh of his day with a clear symbolic demand, let my people go. Of all Jesus' words and acts, this one that we read about on Palm Sunday is 
perhaps the most blatant and most public embrace of his subversive messianic vocation. Subversive both of contemporary Jewish expectations and the contemporary political order. And from this point, there's no going back. Jesus is picking a fight. He's throwing rocks at the hornet's nest, both of them. Not long after this first provocation to the Romans, he doubles down, interrupting the temple sacrifices and delivering a prophetic rebuke to those who claimed to be authorities amongst his own people, the priests and scribes who claimed the authority of Moses, but used it to line their own pockets, corrupt and complicit in collaboration with the colonizers. Now, perhaps they were lovely, polite people at home, you know, law-abiding, caring parents, faithful to their spouses, maybe upstanding members of the community. But they had thrown in their lot with an exploitative and destructive system that put power and profit before the well-being of the poor. And so amidst an atmosphere of restless anticipation stoked by the story of Passover, a radical Messiah comes in through Jerusalem's back gate to turn everything upside down. Jesus has now set himself on a collision course with both political and religious authorities. And between this Galilean preacher and those upholding the status quo, Jerusalem isn't big enough for the both of them. One or other of them will not last. And so this humble king riding a donkey is not all meek and mild as some of us may have learnt in Sunday school. His humility wasn't a matter of passively accepting the way things are, grinning and bearing. Jesus isn't a spiritual teacher revealing some hidden wisdom that enables us to accept unjustifiable circumstance. He doesn't simply baptise the status quo and tell us that if we trust and shut our eyes in prayer, all will be well. No, Jesus forces a confrontation with an unjust order, risking his own life. That's his humility. He's not seeking to grasp what he can for himself. Instead, he's opening a different way of understanding authority, an alternative method of seeking change, and he's doing so in service of others without resorting to coercion or manipulation or violence of arms to impose his agenda. And this stance embodied in his subversive humility on Palm Sunday isn't some aberration or accident. It's not just a temporary tactic he adopts in an extreme moment uncharacteristically. No, this is who Jesus is at his core. This is what his mission has been out about all along. And this is the heart of the God in whose name he comes. For God is not just Caesar writ large. God is not a more effective pilot. God is every inch the same as Jesus, riding on a donkey, 
saying, let my people go. And this is also the path that Jesus invites his followers to tread. Now, I actually had a few thousand extra words written on Philippians 2, which was to be the main point of this sermon, but you'll be relieved to know. I'll pass over that today. Instead, let me just read it again. Because this is the same Jesus the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we come to a time where I believe we're going to be having some discussion, let me leave you with some questions. The questions with which we began. Where is Jesus today? Where is the parade of Pilate today? Where are power and pomp and privilege and propaganda? How are we lured towards them with the promise of participating in them or cowed by them with the threat of them coming crashing down on us? Where do we find celebration of the colonizer and the conqueror? Where is the parade of Pilate? And where are you today, Messiah Jesus? At the back gate, on the path with the poor and the oppressed, the despised and downtrodden, the occupied and displaced, riding a donkey in peace, in humility, in truth, coming to turn the world upside down. Where's the parade of Pilate? Where is Christ? And where are we today? Dazzled by Pilate. Or giving our acclamation to a different kind of king. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. May that same mind be amongst us. Amen.